Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Today, we are going to continue with financial planning. I think that has been something that's been well-received by everyone. I think that people have learned a lot. And as we're talking about financial planning, I mean, you can't talk about financial planning and not think about this one in particular person that comes to my mind when I think of financial planning, and that is Rita Chang. And so today, Rita Chang has joined us on the Minority Money Podcast, so we can talk a little bit about diversity in financial planning. Rita, welcome to the show. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me here. It is so exciting to be here. I've been thrilled. I've been wanting to have you on the show for a while. So when we finally got the date dialed in, I was super excited. And so I want to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself to the community so they can get as excited as I am to hear what you have to talk about today, if you don't want mind. Well, like I said, I'm so excited to be here. I am starstruck. I think what you are doing is absolutely amazing. The minority money podcast. So my name is Margarita Chang. My nickname is Rita. My dad was born in China and came to the U.S. by way of Taiwan. He attended university in Taiwan. My mom is Irish and Eastern European. So you know what? That makes me multiracial and multicultural. With a name like Margarita Maria Chang, you cannot help but embrace diversity and inclusion. So I'm here to talk about the amazing profession, the financial advice, financial planning profession, and why I think everybody needs to work with a planner so that they can have the ability to achieve financial wellness and financial resilience. Absolutely. You guys are in for a treat, just so you know that. Get comfortable, get ready to hear this wonderful, wonderful conversation. When we're talking about this diversity in financial planning, how did you become so passionate about that in particular thing? How did you become so passionate? Now, I mean, it seems I'll let you answer that, but how did you become so passionate about that? Well, sure. So what a lot of people don't know about me is this is actually my second career. Actually, I stand corrected. In college, I graduated with double degrees, East Asian language and literature and finance. I didn't know that there was a distinct discipline of personal finance. In my 20s, I worked as an analyst and an editor of a newsletter. And this was a really enriching, I guess, job, right? Because it was my first job. But I felt like something was missing. In my 20s, I felt that people might not take me seriously. What do you know about retirement? What I did is I put my head down. I worked. I helped my husband pass the CPA exam. I helped him pay off his credit card debt, student loans. We had two kids. We bought a house. Or maybe we bought a house then had two kids. Where I'm going with this is I felt that by the time I was 31, I had the street credibility to be a planner. So Mm -hmm. I was like, that's it. I'm going to be a planner. I admit that I was a little bit naive. When I entered the profession, I didn't see anybody who looked like me. And I'm not just talking about gender, race, ethnicity. I didn't see any moms. I was the only mom. And I know that when people talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, they think a lot about what they see, gender, race, but here I am checking all the boxes. 
didn't see any, that many females, didn't see that many multiracial females, didn't see that many young moms. I was on a mission. And then I had people tell me, this is horrible, but I feel like we can keep it real on this program. You're not going to be successful, Rita. And I was like, I was a little bit shocked because anybody who knows me knows that I don't react. And I was like, wow, what makes them say that? Now, I'm going to give them a pass. And people say, oh, Rita, you're too kind. My dad taught me to be kind. I'm going to give them a pass. I don't know that they were racist or sexist. It's just in their mind, they had never seen anybody like me. So how could I possibly be successful? So that is why I've been very passionate about this. One way of approaching this is I could say, you know what? I didn't have any role models. So go figure it out. But I realized that that's not really advancing the profession. And so to advance the profession of financial planning, we do need to be more inclusive. So that's my story. Absolutely. And there's so many different things, so many different directions. I was thinking about that as you were talking about your experience. And the one that really stood out is I never thought about it as a mom, you know, and I think about my wife when she was in the workforce before we had kids. And then when she goes back, she has a totally different perspective coming into the workplace and the appreciation for the other women that are mothers there and the bond that they kind of form because they can talk about things in the workplace, about motherhood in the workplace, which me seeing that happen on this side of it as the husband of it is kind of cool, but I never thought about it in your aspect. So I love that wrinkle of it. That's awesome. And so as we're looking at financial planning, there's so many different layers of it, right? So many different layers of diversity and inclusion or the lack of it. And so as you've been in the industry for a little bit of time, what would you say the things that excite you, changes that have excited you in the industry? Because there has been some changes, I would say, I think. So what would you say would be, has excited you? What kind of things in the industry are exciting you right now? Well, there's so many things that are exciting. It's really exciting to know that people value financial planning. You know, when I started, people were like, well, why should I pay for financial planning? I can get it free. I think people really understand the value of financial planning. So that excites me. The other thing that excites me is the different business models, right? There's assets under management, there's retainer, there's subscription, there's financial planning modules, comprehensive financial planning, hourly, you name it. So there's different business models to accommodate the needs of those we want to serve. And then I'd say different entry points. There are lots of undergraduate programs and there's many programs for career changers as well. So I find that incredibly exciting. There is a great program for interns and career changers. And this is the time to shamelessly plug the BLX internship program. So if you are an intern and you are, if you're in college or if you're thinking about changing careers and getting into this wonderful profession of financial planning, you can go to BLX. I swear this just happened right now. BLXinternship.org. Please go to BLXinternship.org. And you can learn more about this wonderful profession we're talking about. Just had to plug that commercial in real quick. Hope you're sorry about that, Rita. No, that's perfect. And that excites me too. Many talented individuals coming together to, by very definition, the diversity challenge that our profession is having needs to have diverse solutions. So that's incredibly exciting too, to see planners, passionate, committed, dedicated planners work hard. I mean, they have their day jobs but to make our profession better. Absolutely. And we know as the messengers become more diverse, the people that receive the message will become more diverse. And as they become more diverse, then we can really see that change in the complexion of wealth that we want to see. It's such a beautiful thing. 
And so one of the questions I wanted to talk to you about, because this is something that goes on, and I think this is a good conversation to have, but the profession versus industry conversation. So I'd love to have that with, give us your thoughts on that profession versus industry as it pertains to what we do. Oh, I love this question. So profession versus industry. So profession is a group of qualified people who practice a particular set of skills. What are some examples? That'd be attorney, dentist, accountant, architect, physician. Industry is a group of companies and organizations that work on similar things. So we hear people say financial services industry. I mean, I prefer to say financial planning profession or financial advice profession. Then you can put the fintech providers in there because they help us deliver financial advice. I'm going to say profession. Why is this important? Because I want everybody who is serving clients and helping more Americans achieve financial wellness to take pride in their education, their training, their experience. And I'm not being silly here. Part of being a profession means that we are professional. So that means standards of excellence. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. And we have to have that standard of excellence. And so it's very hard to attain that standard of excellence and we don't hold everyone to the same standard, right? You know, if someone's a physician, you know that they went to four years of school, they had to go to med school, they had to do certain requirements. Someone's an attorney, then we know that there's certain things that they had to do. The reason why, my opinion, the industry is an industry is because we don't have a set qualifications that everyone has to go through to be able to be called financial planner. You don't see that with CPAs. It's an unfortunate thing but it's unfortunate. I mean, because I, I think that it damages more than it helps us. Now, thank you for that. And I just want to let you know, my kids grew up in the profession because when I entered the profession, my eldest child, she was just shy of her third birthday. Mm-hmm. And my son was a baby. He was six months old. Mm-hmm. And my 25-year-old today, so she was three at the time when I entered the profession, she said to me, mom, why is it that people like work at a large firm and then they start their own firm? And I was like, oh, how long do we have this for this conversation? Do you want the quick answer? I mean, this is what Gen Z is thinking. So yes, we need to just work really hard on creating different pathways for people and different entry points. And we also need to allow people the flexibility to ramp up. You know, maybe they don't want to be in a client acquisition position. There's nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of roles that people can do, marketing, planning, investment management. So I think it's really important that we do a really good job communicating all the different skills and all the different roles, responsibilities there are within our profession. I think that's important you say that. And let me say this, because so what happens is you hear a lot of people that maybe end up doing compliance or they end up doing marketing or they end up doing something else. Everyone that's been in those positions or most of the people that I know that are in those positions had to start out as an advisor. And what I'm trying to say to people that are recruiting people, don't make everyone have to be an advisor. You don't have to be an advisor to be on the marketing team. You don't have to be an advisor to learn how to do compliance. You can have career paths that go directly into that. And that's part of the issues with our industry. Like we don't show clear paths for anything. It's like, okay, go be an advisor. If you fail there, then we'll figure something out. You know what I mean? If you can meet the other qualifications that 
we have to get into the industry. And if you can't, well, you know, good luck, go find something else. But we have a high turnover rate and you guys just have to deal with it. That's basically what the industry says. And that's just not a welcoming place, nor is it an environment conducive to good financial advice. Amen. No doubt. Like, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Just chit-chatting, you know, just chit-chatting. That's on my heart. As you were talking about that, you're saying how many advisors start work at big firms because that's the goal in the beginning. And then they end up starting their own firms. And when you think about stories and you think about our stories and our journeys, what were your thoughts on that? Like the stories and journeys? Sure. And I believe that there's a place for big firms and small firms. And at the end of the day, uh, what you value may be different from what I value, but that goes back to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we're all different. We all value different things. I love being a planner. I know that one of the reasons why I wanted my own firm is I knew that I'm a mother. I have three kids. My dad was also very sick. I wanted to be able to do other things, um, not just work in the profession, but work on improving our profession for others. And it does not mean that the big firm is bad. That's not what I'm saying. But I know that when we have our own firm, people do want to hear our voices and they do want to hear our stories. I've had people come to me and this is a little bit hard for me because I'm more of an introvert. And for a long time, I was led to believe, don't tell people that that's not relevant. But then over time, people would say to me, hey, Rita, one of the reasons why we hired you is because we just love how you keep it real. You tell us what we need to do. And you explain things to us in a way where you're not talking down to us or over us. And we feel that we are making progress in our financial lives. And I told people this, I was like, I'm not a nag, but I'm a nudge. And remember, I have three kids. So I think my three kids helped me become a better planner because I could say something to my son and it might not resonate with him. I could say the same thing to my daughters and they are like all about taking meaningful action. I think that what I'm sharing with you is not so different from the experience we have with our clients. So, I mean, I, did I answer your question? Was that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no wrong answers. We're just talking about it. And I think about, you know, the stories and the journey. I think when one of the biggest impacts that I was able to start making in clients and then seeing how important it was is when I started to talk about stuff that was going on in my family. So I had one of my uncles passed away he was in a coma for a little while. And so my grandmother, he wasn't married. So my grandmother had to make all the decisions for him. And she decided to leave him on life support longer than the family, than most of us agreed that she should have. But he was in that situation because he didn't have a state plan, right? He didn't have advanced healthcare directive. He didn't have any other things that would have been able to keep him in control of what was going on, even when he was incapacitated. And so when I share that story with people and I talk about the importance of having an estate plan, and then I talk about what happened with my grandparents' house and how this, what happens there. And when I started sharing those stories, not of always having everything put together, because it's always easy to think that the financial advisor, oh, there's no way that anybody in his family didn't do something right. Like they, no, that's not how things work. And it's crazy because that is kind of how everything happened. No, absolutely. And I think about those stories. So, you know, particularly for minorities, people who are underrepresented, there's a lot of skepticism. So here's what I mean is sometimes people say things because they don't understand and there's a lot of misinformation. So here's exactly what I mean. In some countries, people don't really buy insurance. 
Why? Because they don't need insurance. You die, your extended family is your insurance plan. So I wrote a blog post about this. My husband didn't want to buy life insurance. I said, you're not buying it for me. You're buying it for the kids. Now, I was like seven, eight months pregnant. I said, listen, you know I'm serious here. We need to go through with this. So my way of handling it is, okay, maybe I did make him feel a little bit guilty. But I think sharing this experience with clients was helpful. It's not that my husband was the bad guy. It just means, yeah, don't think that my family's perfect. My husband was resisting life insurance just because from his perspective, why do I need insurance? Back home, if I die, we got plenty of family. They'll take care of your kids. And I had to explain to him, I was like, Joseph, if I die, it's not just the paycheck I bring. I take care of these kids. You know, you're going to have to hire a tutor. I want to make sure that there's resources for you and the kids to be able to maintain your standard of living. And you know what? If you don't want to pay for this, just give me the bill. I'll pay for it. And sure enough, that policy's been enforced. But I think sharing these conversations with our clients, particularly if they're minorities or from underrepresented communities, it really puts them at ease. Oh, you know, I'm not the only one that's experiencing this. This is the first time I've ever said this, but a financial priest, right? You come and confess your sins to us because you're the financial advisor. And so now we have to tell you that we didn't put enough money away for retirement and we haven't started saving money for our kids' college education and we don't have life insurance and we don't know how our homeowner's insurance works. And, and everybody comes and they confess all their sins at the altar of, I don't even know what we're doing, right? And it's so crazy that we do that because it's like, you're holding yourself accountable for something that you just didn't know, right? And so normally when you need help, you go hire someone to help you. You don't get mad at yourself for not knowing how to do stuff you just don't know how to do. I've said this time and time again, but it's just crazy how we uh, shame ourselves into just not ever fixing things, <laughs> just shame. And when we hold this financial advisor in this place and they start telling us stories like we tell about stuff that didn't go right. Like we don't have everything, you know, we're not perfect. <laughs> then it really helps, I think, build a strong relationship because now it's like, okay, this, my financial advisor, who I thought was a superhero, right, is a regular person and is going to connect with me on a human level. And so if I don't check every box, like I don't have 15% of my income saved for retirement and 12% of my income saved for my child's education and this 13% here and I have six months of emergency savings. If you don't have all those things, then we can't talk. Like you got to go somewhere else. When you get all that, then come see me. It's like, that's not the way it works. <laughs> like come see me so we can get all that. Anyhow, sorry, off on a tangent. Back to No, I'm with you. It's so true. I mean, absolutely. And so that story about insurance is, I basically, I know it's difficult, but it's just like my dad said, just because you don't talk about these things does not mean they're not going to happen and you're not going to need them. And just because you do, you're not jinxing yourself. So I think I must have been like 10 years old. And my dad made me crack the safe to show him that I knew how to crack the safe. And if anything were to happen to him, I knew how to locate the insurance policies. Now people might be saying, why would you do this to a 10-year-old little girl? That's horrible. But that was my dad's way of showing his love. Hey, if anything happens, we had to be prepared. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like I said, and once again, I mean, I think this goes back to the messengers, right? If we get more messengers out there, people like us telling people like us stories about people like us, we get more people like us in the industry and taking advantage of the services of the people like us in the industry. It's like crazy. I know I said the same thing over, but you get the point of what I'm trying to say with that, because I think that it's so important and it gives another level of planning. I think about 
little things like sending money back to like say you have my family in another country and working and saying you know part of what i have to do is i have to send some money home i got to do that and so it's not our job to say well you know that's really not gonna that's gonna impact no it's our job to say okay well how much do we need to send and how are we going to get it there this is how we're going to just a part of your plan being able to have those types of things where it's just common practice because people know that's what we do. I love that. And I think we need to have the hashtag people like us. Exactly. People like us, we have extended family because we are more collectivist. It's different. So yeah, for retirement doesn't just involve me. I need to make sure that I'm planning for my parents' healthcare expenses. I'm also planning for my kids' education, right? It's a lot. So that's why I'm so passionate about making sure that we really approach financial planning with cultural sensitivity and awareness. When I think about my dad's journey, my grandma didn't plan for retirement. Her retirement plan was her three kids, but that's because they fled their hometown twice. It's different. And it's so important that we understand that financial planning involves the qualitative. So that's the personal as well as the quantitative, that's the financials. That's like the percentages, those savings rates and everything we were talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. So D-E-I, D-E-I. What do those letters mean? What does it mean to you? So sure, I mean, D is diversity. I mean, E, equity, inclusion. I think that all too often people focus on D, diversity, right? But if we are inclusive, If we are consciously inclusive, we're practicing conscious inclusion, being really intentional and thoughtful, diversity is going to be a byproduct of that. The best way for me to explain that is all too often people focus on counting. I mean, we're in finance, but instead of counting people, really let people know that they count, that they matter. And I think that people's stories matter. This is the other thing I tell people the way I entered the profession is going to be different than maybe the manager who hired me. My way is not better. His way is not better. It's different. And it's important to respect and honor the differences because we can learn a lot from one another. And so that's really what I want people to understand. And it's important to share your story because people do business with those they like and trust. And those shared experiences and connections build rapport. They build comfort. And that can help people feel more comfortable talking about a topic like money. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. I 100%, 1000%. And I think about that. It's so easy when people understand the culture and they're talking to you with that cultural understanding and they make recommendations with that understanding. It's so much like, it's like, oh, it's just like a relief. I've seen people who are talking about planning the quinceanera and they're like, oh, we can do it. You know what I mean? Like, like we're going to be able to do that. Like, and I don't care how important you think, how important you think it is, or they don't think it is or whatever. I don't, that doesn't matter. If that's important to my client, we're going to figure out how to do it. And just seeing the relief that comes off when you're able to do that. It's just so powerful. So you're a member of the CFP board. So I'm a member of the CFP board when that's okay. the women's initiative and the diversity advisory group there you um, or the DAG as okay. we, that's the acronym. But I try not to use too many acronyms without explaining what they are. The part of Maryland I live in is actually closer to the DC line than Baltimore. So, I mean, I have walked home from DC before. It's not that far. 
I think one time I actually ran home from DC once too. I was like, you know what? It's like a 13 minute wait for the train. The train is delayed. You know what? I'm just going to walk home. <laughs> oh, wow. How is that close? Well, I mean, I ran a half marathon and I needed to like walk it out. So I just walked home. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. If you run a half marathon, you're good. You're right there. Well, as you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast where we are changing the complexion of wealth. And there's some questions I like to ask. And so with that, I wanted to talk about what motivates and inspires you to continue to grow and learn and lead, Rita? I'm motivated to be the best planner I can be for my clients my family, my community, and our profession. I think about my dad's journey to America. It had to be so terrifying to come here with only $17 to your name, not even have a winter coat, land in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and begin your new life. I get emotional because I think about how blessed I am. And I am so lucky to have discovered the profession of financial planning where I get to make a difference in the lives of my clients every day. So that's just what motivates me. Even if I'm tired or something terrible happened, I just think about my why. And my why is to make sure that I know we can't work with everyone, but my job and I believe my higher purpose is to make sure that those that I work with have the opportunity to achieve financial wellness and financial resilience. And that is what motivates me every day. Awesome. Awesome. How has your family supported you on your journey? Sure. So I'm so glad that we're covering this one because I think all too often when people enter the financial services industry, I'm using industry here. I understand this is changing, but it still happens. They are asked to make a list of friends and family who can invest. If you have family and friends who can invest, that's a blessing. If you don't, I just want you to know your friends and family can still help you. So my mommy and daddy, grandma and grandpa to those two kids I was telling you about, I have three now, but at that time I only had two. They helped me by caring for my children. They picked my kids up from school every other Friday so I can go to CFP class from five to nine. And then the next morning, nine to five. Sometimes my kids would spend the night at grandma's house that is incredibly rewarding and helpful because without their help, I couldn't have prepared for this exam, run my practice. And I did that all in nine months. So my dad is no longer with us. He passed away, but my mom is still here. And I thank her every day that I am a CFP pro because grandma and grandpa stepped up. Absolutely. That's awesome. That's so awesome. ask for help, people. Ask yes. for help. It's not a sign of weakness. I love it. Love it. If you could offer a piece of advice to our listeners, what would that be? Oh, sure. So the first thing was well, a couple pieces of advice. But the first thing I would say is ask for help. That is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of courage. It's a sign that you're asking, that you trust somebody. So in my case, I know you may say, well, they're your parents. You know, I asked them for help. I said, here's what I'm doing. I need your help. Can you help pick up my kids every other Friday and, sat- and take care of them on Saturday? Um, share your story too. Don't be shy. I know I'm an introvert, but people, you may not realize it, but those shared experiences resonate with others. And when your shared experience helps you connect with others, you are able to help more people achieve financial wellness and reach their financial goals. So 
that's what I want my parting words to be. Absolutely. Well, you all heard it here from Rita Chang. I thoroughly enjoyed this. This is awesome. I can't thank you enough for coming onto the show. This was fun. I really enjoyed it. We will have to do it again. If you're willing to come back, we'll have to do this again. I'd love to have you on again and, and chat more about this and chat about some results as we want this change that we want to see. As we start to see it, I want to have us come on and talk about the results we're seeing. So if you're up for it. I'm up for it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. And I thank you on behalf of me and the, and the minority money community. This was awesome. Yeah. So thank you. As you all know, this is the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast, so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here and until next time.